Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places a dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 398 is recorded live February 28th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Chilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we are certainly looking forward to some diving in the spring. Uh, tonight's going to be a solo episode. It's probably going to be quite quick, so you may have to find another podcast to fill in at the end, but we wanted to get you something out anyway. Max got some other arrangements, so he was not going to be available. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have Dave, Derek, and Eric are all in there having some good conversations and hopefully everybody is finding a way to get out and do some diving here at the end of February. End of February is like the beginning of hope. It's when we should be looking forward and planning on what we'll be able to do here as the weather gets warmer, at least in the Northern hemisphere. I don't know if you're in the Southern hemisphere, is this, is this the end of it? You're probably, is this your peak summer? Are you getting diving in? So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article we have is a ban on scuba fishing has been proposed. New proposal aims to protect Guam's reefs and decline, declining FIP, FIP, fish populations by banning scuba fishing in Guam's water, Senator Sabrina Perez introduced Bill 5335, which states the Department of Agriculture Division of Aquatic and Wildlife Resources in the 2009 noted that reef fish are declining at an alarming rate. The agency noted that scuba fishing is a serious threat to all reef fish stocks. Bill 53, co-sponsored by Senator Clinton Rigel, Rigel? I'm going to say Rigel, and Speaker Tina M- uh, Munya, Barnes aimed to remove that threat. If passed, the legislation would make fishing with scuba gear a felony punishable by up to five years in prison or a fine between 1000 and 5000 or a combination of prison and a fine. The response on social media has been largely supportive. People have been commenting on the Guam Daily Post Facebook page that the bill should have been introduced years ago, but not everyone believes the ban on scuba fishing will restore the fish population. I know free divers who catch more fish than five scuba divers put together in a day, says Manny uh, Dunez, uh, president of Guam's Fishermen Cooperative and Association. He says the co-op general stance over the years has been against legislation that adds more restriction among local fishermen. He urged senators to turn an eye on the larger problem of erosion, which he said is smothering the reefs. No more restrictions. Uh, they said that the number of local fishermen has dwindled over the year, over the years, so the idea that they are to blame is inaccurate. As a decades-long fisherman and president of Fisherman's Co-op, he says it has seen firsthand what is killing the reef and chasing away many of the fish that rely on it. We need to look at the data, at the science. Adding that the data he has collected over the years show there hasn't been much change in the amount or size of fish, and that tells me the marine preserves, which are a restriction to our local fishermen, 
that was sold to us in a way to help preserve the fish population isn't working, he said. He added that the preserves are supposed to be the first step in helping improve the fish population. Supported to be uh, programs to control erosion were promised too. Instead, he said projects that control the removal of mangrove forests have been allowed. At the end of the day, we're polluting ourselves and our environment to death. He said mangrove habitats generally found near rivers, riverheads, and coastlines where freshwater meets the ocean help keep much freshwater and sediment from running into the ocean. Mangrove root traps and hold unstable soil in their habitat to filter feeders that clean water for sediment nutrients, which could cause algae blooms, according to the National Park Service. When I was a kid growing up, my family is from the south. The sediment from the river used to settle, settle in the mouth of the river, but not much gets further out, just like at Pago Bay. You can see it. He said, when you change the dynamics of the ocean water, adding too much fresh water or sediment that cause algae blooms and impacts the habitat where the fish are at. He said he appreciates Senator's efforts to help, but said they need to focus on environmental issues, not adding restrictions to local fishermen. Pretty soon, Tan Marina Maria won't be able to get fish because of these restrictions on our local fishermen. According to press relief from the Prez office, local fishermen and youth groups support the scuba fishing ban. Many fishermen are seeing firsthand the impacts of scuba fishing of, are having on their catch. Responsive fishermen are frustrated that laws fail to regulate damaging, unsustainable practices that threaten their livelihood. According to the bill, the idea proposed by Bill 53 has been adopted in 63 nations and jurisdictions, including the Commonwealth of Northern Marina Island and Pacific Island nations. The bill defines scuba diving as using self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, but notes that other equipment that use compressed air or mixture of air and gas, such as nitrox, surface-applied air, and rebreathers will be included in the band. Declining population, according to press release from Perez's office, studies show scuba fishing allows for the targeting of reef fish at greater depths and at greater efficiency than traditional fishing method. The practice prevents struggling fish stops from regenerating where they're essential to the health of the coral reef ecosystems. In, a, in extreme cases, scuba fishing could contribute to fisheries collapse, it added in the recent study of 832 coral reefs in 64 localities, two stood out for having first fish biomass low enough to constitute fishery collapse, Papua New Guinea and Guam. We must act now if we want to save our fisheries from collapse, which would neg have negative repercussions on our coral reef. Two species of, uh, once prevalent among in uh, Guam's waters are particularly vulnerable to scuba fishing, otohung or a humped head parrotfish, and Tangasin or humphead warus. Uh, the press release stated both fish require the ability to grow large and deep waters before returning and repopulating reefs. However, the advent of scuba fishing, the largest seas fish is now being targeted in deep water with starting efficiency. The release stated data compiled, compiled by the Guam Department of Agriculture shows that all the recorded catches of Atong and 85% of all recorded catches of Tangasin were caught by scuba fishing. And they go on, and they got some pictures of the people involved. Um, I'm not real fond, I mean, as you can guess by the program, of people targeting scuba divers for this ban. Um, I think there's other ways to approach it. You could do, uh, I mean, why not additional limits? Yeah, If it's bad for a scuba diver to catch it, why is it okay for a fisherman that's on the surface to catch it? You know, if we're really concerned about it. Uh, you could also do some notch limits. You know, if you you need to keep larger fish for breeding, 
and uh, smaller fish for spawning. Uh, why not say you can only take between sizes? We see that up here in Michigan and some of our fishing requirements. Then um, I agree with them in the you know mangroves. If you're removing the habitat, then uh, you're impacting their environment. You're going to have uh, lower stocks. This next one's out of Canada. Blind scuba diving brings excitement. Mark Prolock who is blind, enjoys death-defying experience, many avoid. He jumped from a plane, gone rock climbing, and bungee jumped. But more than anything else he's tried, uh, he has found challenging, thrill, joys, and scuba diving. I'm really, really in tune with scuba diving because of the freedom it brings me. Uh, noting the excitement of being able to use underwater topography to find his way and to and from shipwrecks and caverns. I like the excitement. I like the challenge. I'm fairly good at bocce ball, bowling, and playing darts, but they're not exciting enough. Uh, Prolix is already preparing for other adventures, such as spring paintball tournament and chance to walk along the edge of the CN Tower. Through the years, he's worked in Canada's own blind clown known as Marco, twisting balloons for donations and party gigs to play for rock climbing shoes, harness, and a scuba gear. But on Saturday, he's trying to host a party, raise funds for items he needs to change his life. A set of communication masks will be worn by Prolix and his two diving partners allow the three of them a whole new dimension to Prolox's experience. Underwater, Prolox doesn't often know what he's near or what's approaching him until he returns to the surface and his friends can talk to him. Last year, I was about 120 feet down in St. Lawrence, and I thought a snake slid across my legs. When I got to the surface, I found it was an eel that came to check me out. Another time, I felt a strong vibration and didn't know what it was. I got back and learned a freighter had gone right over me. Prolox said he hopes to expand his diving which he mainly does in the Niagara-St. Lawrence Rivers to include cavern diving, which is considered one of the world's most dangerous sports. Communicating with his primary and secondary dive buddies would be critical for talking about pockets of air, eddies that can send a diver in circles in dangerous spots. Along with widening his diving experience, he says that being able to communicate with his diving partners needs a safer experience too. It'd be nice to have that communication about what's going on and enjoy scuba diving firsthand. Communications masks cost about $1,475 U.S. Dollars each and are joined by a radio device that costs uh, $1,150 U.S. Dollars. To raise the necessary money, he and a small team of supporters have organized a party featuring food, music, and prizes Saturday night at the Moose Lodge in West Street in Brantford. We have a wide variety of items, a raffle, silent auction, including a charter event for four and $1,000 donations from one of the scuba shops. Tickets cost 15 to $25 for two. They can be purchased at door or through uh, directly from the diver. So that is, that's awesome. So at first when I saw this, I thought this is somebody who was just blacking out masks because they thought that was uh, a good thing to do. But this is actually a blind scuba diver. So you have to give him a lot of credit for going out and exploring different things that maybe others would try to avoid and overcoming the challenges. So we'll have the links in the show notes, and you can uh, support them. They get they give us some details there. Uh oh, they they're, they're, the chat room's requesting Dave turn on his mic. Yeah, Dave, go ahead if you if you're available. So we need to do is have a buzzer so that when I'm chatting around and somebody's trying to get a, my attention, they can let me know. Can you hear me, Darren? Ah, uh, we can hear you. So how are you doing today, Dave? Oh, I can't complain too much. 
considering winter's almost over, it'll be time to start getting wet in the big lake soon. Yeah, the looks like the ice is breaking up, at least down here, but I saw an article this last week saying that they were having maximum ice still growing. Yeah, I've been watching the lakes pretty tight, and uh, it's not going anywhere yet. I thought of all the, the uh, heavy winds that we had last weekend would have broke it up a little bit and piled it up, and it seems to have done that, but I was just I just looked at an article a little bit ago that showed Lake Superior at 85%, the highest point so far yep. this season. You know, it, that all needs to go away. It's kind of hard to launch the boat when you have to uh, put it out on the ice and wait for it to break through. Yeah. Or just spend a lot of time out in the water until it does. Well, yeah. You can do that, too. Yeah. Have, have you ever dove with somebody who was blind? I have not. Uh, I found that to be really interesting. I've I dove with somebody who was considered to be legally blind, but she could see a couple of feet, a few feet. Mm-hmm. But I've never dove with somebody that's completely blind. So she she wasn't somebody you wanted to fly your plane, but she was able to see and get around. Yeah, you wanted to maintain close buddy contact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't want to get too far away and use some of uh, some of Derek's fine new hand signals that I've learned this evening. Uh oh, I, I think I missed those. Yeah, that's some chat room bonus. You'll you'll be able to go back through. Uh, okay. Definitely uh, some new hand signals. Yeah, maybe but we the, need to do a hand signal app and put those in there. There was uh, actually, I didn't read it, but I saw an article in the last few days about uh, hand signals for diving with a blind diver. And basically it looked like they were just doing the signals into the hand. Yeah, I I know that some, well, some people will do uh, like like the sign language and they can do it right in the hand, kind of like, you know, similar to what you, Helen Keller used to do. Yeah, I think it, it looked like it was something similar. I just I read the highlights of the article. I didn't didn't have a chance to read the whole article yet. Well, this next one we have is a diver explores shipwreck in the Ontario Lake despite sub-zero temperatures. Free diver Igor, oh goodness, this like torturing me. Nestoronto Co. <laughs> Igor Igor N. <laughs> Uh, a diver off the shore, shores of Tobamori, Ontario, to explore shipwreck found the bottom of the lake in early February. In the video, he and his friends are seen breaking through the ice before diving chilly waters on Lake Huron and the Georgian Bay. He can be seen moving through the cold, snowy water and exploring the Alice G. shipwreck underneath a thick layer of ice that has developed up above, making the adventure more challenging as he did it in a single breath. We just love the water and we love free diving. We usually do it in the summer, but since our summers are so short, unfortunately, we want to take a step further and do it in the winter. He says they can't dive for too long in the frigid waters as it takes a lot of energy, so they usually under the water for about a minute and a half. When it's that cold, your body burns through oxygen a lot quicker, and it takes a lot of energy to stay warm. He also said staying calm and collected is important when free diving, especially under extreme elements. He prefers the warmer water conditions, such as Mexico or Thailand where it's warm all year round. The video is taken on the 2nd of February. Wow, it seems like you're breaking quite a lot of rules that we would as scuba divers uh, doing a free dive because what's the guarantee that you can come right back up to the hole? Well, I haven't watched the video, and 
I actually paused it so it didn't start playing, uh-huh. kill my bandwidth. Um, but I will tell you that this year we added free diving to our ice diving. Oh. Um, shop I work with, uh, the shop owner's wife, is a free diving instructor. And she wanted to do some under the ice last year. We really didn't have enough ice. This year we we had enough ice, barely. Mm-hmm. And we implemented uh, free diving. And it was interesting seeing the difference and how the free diving works. And really, the same basic rules, uh, depending on the type of free diving, this guy may be doing off tether, just running. But the way we were doing it, she was using a descent line and had a wrist tether to that descent line. Oh, okay. But we've we've been doing a lot of discussion of different ways to safely implement free diving into the ice diving program, and there are there are ways you know with putting divers in the water as safeties, not so much to help the free diver if there's a problem, because we've kind of came to the conclusion that free divers should rescue free divers because there are differences, and there are things that they're going to recognize that you know we we wouldn't recognize because we're not free diving. But right. using using scuba divers as guideposts, I mean, we came up with a lot of risk management methods, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. But it's definitely doable, and it's been being done more and more. As free diving is becoming more and more popular around the world, you see a lot of it in uh, in Europe on YouTube this year. Wow. I I think free diving is a interesting sport. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, at my age and experience, I don't know if it's something that I'd really partake in, but uh, I do encourage. I mean, getting anybody in underwater, I could see it as a a gateway. You know, hey, you want to stay down a little bit longer than you do in free diving, then uh, you know, take up some scuba. Well, you know, the, the problem is, is you really shouldn't combine the free diving technique and the scuba technique. No. Because with scuba, the idea is to not have CO2 retention. And breathing isn't so much about getting oxygen as it is getting rid of CO2. And the free diving methods, if you try to use those to extend your bottom time and make a bottle last longer, probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. But to do the two different pursuits separately, um, I personally haven't gotten into the freediving yet. I really haven't had time with everything else going on. But I've watched some of the other people and watched them enjoy it. And I, I'm probably going to do it just to just to see. I don't know that I'll ever have a you know three-minute breath hold even. But, you know, the first class is actually pool only. And it's yeah. more of an introduction to techniques and methods and the exercises to learn how to fully breathe. Probably going to be coming to an area, to a shop in your area this summer. Oh, cool. Well, as a kid, my dad and I used to do something we called surface diving, which is is free diving, but you can't see crap. <laughs> That's where you would, we would see how, how deep we could go right from the surface, you know, go down and, you know, you'd be out in a pond or uh, a lake and see if you could get 20, 30 feet down and grab a handful of sand, but. There was no hope of seeing anything back in those pre-zebra muscle days, so. Yeah. 
but definitely interesting. Uh, you know, shipwreck diving under the ice is really incredible. And I can't imagine the Tubmore area anyway has incredible oh. visibility. I can't imagine that under the ice. That is on uh, my list of things I want to do is, is dive on a shipwreck under the ice. Done it in Lake Erie. Yeah, I've, I've not had the opportunity. We've talked about it. Uh, there was some discussion of doing uh, Diamond Lake, but that's not much of a shipwreck. And you still got to haul all your crap all the way out there. So uh, you'd want to we'd want to wait till there was a good amount of ice and maybe get some snowmobiles or something to haul gear. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of logistics and ice diving anyway, and then to add distance into it does yeah. complicate it. The yeah, biggest problem biggest problem in your area is the way you get all the ice mountains along your coast. Yeah, out, out in Lake Michigan, I don't know how the way the yeah, I don't know. Gosh, that, that, out in Lake Have Michigan. Mac put skis on the plane. Yeah, there you go. That's an idea. <laughs> Take everybody out one at a time. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if you could, uh, I mean, there's some hovercraft companies in the area. Maybe that would be the way to do it. Take a hovercraft out there. Maybe it tows a Zodiac with no motor on it. Have all your gear in it. And then yeah, that, that might be something. That that could be a, an excursion to go plan. Because I'd love to go and dive on uh, uh some of the wrecks and now on the big the big water i wonder what it's like down there is it does it settle down once oh, the ice yeah. is on it oh, okay well wow, i so. can only speak for the area in lake erie where we dove and the wreck we dove on is in about 18 foot of water and you can't see it during the summer wow because of all the sediment kicked up and everything you know and that that the west end of lake erie is relatively shallow and we probably had 200 foot of his Huh. I keep joking that Max Wreck during the wintertime is totally uncovered. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was thinking of that because, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is you know, the Havana. But to the time, you know, if, if you go out a traditional port, that would take you forever. But uh, in the winter, you could take a hovercraft right down the beach. And as long as you can make it through the ice mountains, yep. uh, you could go out and it wouldn't be too bad because you could go right there from, uh, you know, a few spots and. Huh, that I I need to do some planning. That might be something. It, for it next takes year. the right ice conditions, though. And the problem is, is out on the lake, you don't know. You know, the Coast Guard issues these ice thickness notices. What they're guesstimating the ice thickness to be for the mm-hmm. for the shipping more than anything. I I don't know how much I trust them because ice is variable. Right. And I really wouldn't want to fall through the ice. You know, once I got about two and a half three miles off. Yeah. Well, and that's why I was thinking if you if you had a hovercraft uh, tow a Zodiac, you know, you're, it, yeah, that seems like that might be the way to do it. But well, when we get a good when we get a good winter full of ice, I think we can put the uh, the plan together pretty quick. We just need to have the right kind of ice conditions. Yeah, yeah. This year would not have been the year for it. We I thought it was going to be, and it, it approached it a couple times. But you really need that week or two of you know, solid ice building out there in the lake. And it seemed like every time it built, then we'd have 40 degree days and some high winds and it would break everything up. Yep. What was it? Probably four years ago when we had the really good ice winter. Yeah, it was, it was either that three or four. We've had some, I mean, there's a chart that shows them, but we, yeah. And that, that seemed to be the turning point of, uh, 
the water levels in, in Lake Michigan. Once you get that ice, mm-hmm. uh, cuts down that evaporation, and then the seams to just keep building and building. Uh, definitely something for the future, but awesome article seeing seeing uh, people going under the ice on wrecks. That's good stuff. And then this uh, next article we have is a plan to protect Shetland's 250, 250, 270 year old Swedish shipwreck. The 18th century wreck was the flagship of the Swedish East India Company's fleet that could be given protected status. The, oh goodness, Drottigen Af Swerge, the Queen of Sweden, which we'll refer to it as the rest of the article, hit a rock and sank off. Lurwick and Shetland in January 1745. The ship was headed to Cadiz in Spain to pick up supplies before heading to China when it was caught in a blizzard. Historic Environmental Scotland's consulting on the protecting the wreck has proposed a Historic Marine Protected Area, HMPA designation. HMPA status aims to preserve marine historic assets of national importance so they can be protected, valued, and understood. Among the protections, the designation offers a prohibiting commercial exploitation site. Historic Environment Scotland said the Queen of Sweden wreck was arguably one of the best preserved remains of a merchant sailing vessel of the Swedish East India Company located in the waters around Scotland. Philip Robertson, deputy for the designation at HES, said the sinking of the Queen of Sweden was a significant event in the history of Shetland Isles. The wreckage that remains is a marine heritage site and a national importance that can greatly enhance our knowledge and understanding of the Swedish East India Company and its trading activity around Scotland's coast during the 18th century. We believe that designating the site a historic MPA will promote the heritage value, and I'd like to encourage as many people as possible to take this opportunity to share their views about the important piece of our nation's priceless marine heritage. The Swedish East India Company played a part in Northern Europe's trade with China in tea and silk. The Queen of Sweden was the flagship and largest vessel of the company's fleet, its crew who survived the sinking had sought to take the ship in the sheltered waters of Brassy Sound in blizzard conditions. Then the vessel hit a rock. Not a bad idea as long as the Historic Marine Protected Area designation doesn't prohibit... Diving? Diving. I mean, they say prohibits commercial exploitation. Right. Basically salvage, the way I read that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have problems here... When Noah when Noah got everything worked out to declare the the monitor a national marine sanctuary, Gary Gentile had to take it to court, and it ended up being a long drawn out process that cost him a lot of money to be able to go dive it. Yeah. Before Noah went out and tore it in half, <laughs> saving the turret. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've seen some pictures of it. I'd, I'd like them to do another. Uh, article on it, but I think the reason they don't is because there's not enough left to to really have much interest, because I know they tried to do some protection, poured some concrete down there, but uh, some you can't, have argued... You can't preserve something worse. in the ocean. Yeah. Definitely interesting, and in that photograph, is that a cannon they have the tape wrapped around, or a mast section? My first instinct was cannon. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's what you always see. I mean, that's the first time. It's, you know, every tree underwater looks like a cannon. Yes, they do. But sometimes a tree might be a cannon. Yes. Yeah, they got some. Yeah, we'll, we'll call it a cannon for now. 
So if they were hauling tea and silk, would tea and silk still be on board the vessel? Well, that's probably why there's no visibility there. It's all that tea. <laughs> all the tannins looks like the Cooper River. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't imagine that uh, either would have survived long. In, uh, in the photo, there looks to be some kelp. So I'm guessing that they've got a healthy colony of stuff that would love to chomp on uh, tea and silk type of items. Plus, I would I would guess that it's in rather shallow water if they hit a rock. So it probably yeah. would take the brunt of the weather. Yeah, yeah. Just that lighting on it lets me makes me think that it's uh, fairly shallow as well. So it is always good though to see cultural resources being preserved yeah as much as i'm you know a fan of you know spidging out and scrapping a wreck underwater <laughs> well in this in this particular case i think they're going to uh, uh try and preserve it so that it could be dove i mean I, it just it just would make sense but they the, the only thing that concerns me is they didn't talk anything about the value of you know diving because that usually seems to be the if the if there's Pro diving, they'll talk about the uh, money that diving brings into a community. But if, without that, that uh, makes me think that maybe they'll block this off. And, and look for grant money to fund somebody's <laughs> dissertation. Yeah. Well, what, and, you know, if Max, so I'll, I'll take Max's position since he's not here. You know, he'll, he'll, first thing would be return on investment. But the uh, the other part of this is, how are they going to enforce this? And when people lose interest in that it's even there, are they going to know it? I mean, how, how much, you know, is there interest now? But, you know, 14 years from now, does anybody even remember? And the other problem is, you know, as they go down there, and it, I'm imagining it's pretty much a pile of rubble already. How much would even be left in 14 years after they've moved everything around, surveying it? And I'm sure they're going to conserve some artifacts. Mm -hmm. And being in the ocean, if if you really want to conserve the cultural resources, they really do need to be raised and conserved. You're never going to. You're never going to. I don't think you're going to see too many more halls raised and conserved. I mean, there's. There's a couple of the Vasa, but that, that was, what, a 30-year project, 50, 30 to 40-year oh, project yeah. Yeah. to conserve I, I that hall? I don't think anybody will do anything like that. And there's been plenty of wrecks that have that are in good enough condition where that could, have, that could happen. Uh, and there's been some that have been brought up and not been preserved. They just brought them up. And, yeah, there have been several in the Great Lakes that have been brought up and gone. Yeah. They don't. They don't hold up. No. But definitely interesting to see that there's conservation afoot for cultural resources. Kind of curious though. They say that it's, you know, arguably the best pre preserved remains. And well, looking at that sure. picture, I'm guessing it's pretty much a rubble pile. It probably depends uh, if you want to take a bad argument. <laughs> Everybody says that. That's uh, and and they're always trying to sell all this knowledge that you're going to learn. I I think there's value in the context of it where it's at when it went down. 
Yes. But as far as the greater human knowledge, I, yeah, it's, it's because we enjoy learning about it more than that there's any tangible benefit. And as, as Taras Lysenko would say, archaeologists need to find work. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. No offense to our friends, the archaeologists, but no, uh, most certainly not. I, I do have quite a few, but but they, uh, yeah, it, and that's a challenging career. Anything where you're, you know, the how how do you make a living doing something like that? You you, you kind of you know, grants. Uh, you have to be associated with a museum, have a benefactor. It just seems like that's a just such a challenging career to be in. Well, I, I know quite a few that, that actually make their income doing survey work prior to construction to validate a lack of cultural resources. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of have mixed feelings on, on some of that. Yeah, I'm glad for them that they were able to to have some income, but it almost seems to be a uh, a form of blackmail, <laughs> you know, if, if <laughs> If you want to do anything, you got to pay this person to verify that there's nothing there that, you know, you might be hurting. But that's kind of the way it is now. Well, there has there have been a few cases where things have been found that were quite mm-hmm. quite incredible. I know uh, San Francisco area. There was a whole pile of ships of there, shipwrecks. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the, and it's like whenever we find them, I'm I'm always surprised that we are surprised because yeah, you know, a lot of these a lot of these port areas, it's land is valuable, and if you can add land, which is what these ships did, many of them were were at the end of their career. You parked them at the end, you lashed them together, you threw some stone in the the middle of them, and that became uh, like your breakwater. Well, and we even we even see this in. In uh, modern times, you know, all these nuclear plants up and down the coast, that's what they used to do. They used to buy old uh, vessels and they would ballast them up and use them as breakwater through the storm so they could work on the uh, uh, projects and that they had that were in the water. Yeah, at the uh, north end of the St. Clair River on uh, the Sarnia side, there's an entire wall where the casino was built that that whole Ship that whole wall was built out of shipwreck hulls. Ah, that is interesting. Well, that does it for scuba news. I we had a a short article list this week, so I have zero chance of getting in the water anytime soon. Uh, well, robot season does that. Uh, it does. Yep, we got our first competition coming up here in less than a week, almost exactly a week. Will be next next Thursday. There will be no podcast, and I will be corralling students trying to get everything all together. And at this point, we're at that point of the of the the season where I'm I'm kind of wondering what we're we're going to have. You know, we've got one robot that's in a bag, and we got the other one that their uh, their practice spot that they're trying to get all situated to learn some stuff. And then they've got some unbagged time they can use before the event to finish things. So. It's crunch time right now. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. And getting the team to start working as a team. Yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, I mean, they're, they're coming together. 
and apart and together, but that's <laughs> the nature of things. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they're you got to keep reminding yourself that they're they're only kids. Yeah, I can. I, I've worked with kids enough to uh, say that I have sympathy for you, and better you than me. But somebody has to do it. Yeah, somebody does, and that's kind of what my thinking was: is that I I wanted to at least <laughs> let my son get through it, and we'll see. I, I keep I keep telling everybody that. You know, as long as it's not a pain in the butt, I'll keep doing it. But I'm definitely not next year not putting as many hours as I did this year. I think I've, I'm averaging like four hours of sleep a night. So <laughs> that's a little tough. Well, have you been getting oh. any uh, diving in? or? Uh, I've been teaching classes, but nothing out in the open water yet. Yeah. That'll be coming soon. Right now we're at that point where there's sometimes enough ice that you can't get into the open water, but not enough ice to ice dive. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. But we do have the uh, Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival in Ann Arbor. Ford Seahorse is coming up this weekend, which is for me anyway. And for a lot of people kind of the kickoff to spring. Yes. Because it's the last show in our area, in our region. Well, I'm, you know, as soon as we hit March, that's the month where, the earliest dive, ice dive, not ice dive, uh, earliest dive on a shipwreck uh, for me has happened. I, I've I've dove in the, just past the mid of March on uh, Havana one year. So, yeah. Yeah, I've made it out in Lake Huron and Lake Erie in actually rather early in March, but those mm-hmm. were oddball years. Yeah. And I know right now we've, uh, had conversations. There's a charter boat that runs out of uh, Westfield, New York, Osprey Charters, and Captain John has been talking about when he's planning on putting the boat in. And there's a group of us that are planning on being on his boat to uh, bring in the new year. Ah. And yeah. I know that uh, there's a new boat on Lake Michigan being run out of uh, the Chicago area with double action dive charters They're, they put mm-hmm. a a bigger boat in the water for this year nice and i know that uh, a lot of people over on this side have been getting plans together to uh get the charters lined up charter boat out of cleveland that uh was run by captain wayne who passed last fall found out that his son is going to continue running that boat. So we've been talking to him about scheduling. And big thing is, is just when, when it is, we can uh, actually start running. And it's all based upon Mother Nature that you can never predict. Nice. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. I got to get some, I want to get some early diving in this year. So depending on how the robotic season goes, that could be sooner or later. We'll have to find out. Yeah, my biggest thing is is I've just got to limit my class schedule this year, so I've got time to dive. <laughs> I know I'll yeah. be up in that area at the end of March, up in the South Haven area. Uh-huh. With a rather large class. And that'll That's probably cool. be my kickoff for the open water for the year. Yeah. Well, um, we can use the divers. Well, we'll see. It's uh, mainly public safety divers, oh. firefighters, and police. 
and some of them don't end up doing much recreational diving. No. But sometimes sometimes they do. And you know, get get a few students lined up in this area and we've got a group that's going through advanced nitrox deco procedures in April. And I know that uh I've been working on my boat already. A couple of people around here have been working on their boats. I imagine the same is going on up in that area, or at least yeah, well, yeah, we've plans got a, are being made. Yeah, we've we've got a few divers in the dive club who already have boats and have bought boats and are refinishing them through the winter. So we, I think we may be getting to the point where we almost got like a boat per diver. <laughs> and I don't have any boats, so that means that there's people with two or three. So, Well, that's handy, though. Yeah. Yeah, I've I, I found that to be quite handy. I've I've at one point in time thought I was going to need to buy my own, but uh, it's much better to borrow. <laughs> oh, it is. It it is. Yeah. Everybody it, needs a crew. They need somebody to haul the anchor up or to push it out or get it out of the water or just to chat when they're out. Oh yeah, but the nice thing about multiple boats is if you get it lined up right and you get every recording data right, you can definitely get some get some lawn mode. Oh, I would love to try and figure out how to do that. And that is something that we've talked about this year. Is that's gonna we're gonna we we say this every year, but we want to get some good lawn mowing going on. Oh yeah, and a lot of it just depends on the weather. And you know, last year the weather was horrible. It was difficult to get out on the lakes. And when the weather was good, I always had something else going on, and I couldn't get out. Yeah, it was. I don't. We just had it was the bad weekends we we get that where it'll be nice during the week when you're at work and then friday comes along and it's friday through monday is just a complete disaster so <laughs> 40 foot waves <laughs> yeah it's it, it's crazy and of course that's what you remember you don't remember the weekend where it was nice and you couldn't go but yeah yeah i definitely had some uh, diver lawn last year yeah <laughs> well I've, I've got that every year I might have it this year. Yeah, I think oh. I mowed like three times. Yeah, I, I maybe mowed a few more times, but my lawnmower broke. And something else I got to solve before that, this year. That's actually handy. Yeah, <laughs> no, my wife does Well, because I've got push mowers, but, you know, the rider. And, my, and, yeah, my and my wife was like, well, just, just push mow it. It's like, no. I, and I, I did that for about a month. And I'm like, okay, this is it. You know, if if I have to do this, I'm buying weed killer and killing the whole damn thing. <laughs> There's no <Yeah>. way. <laughs> and who don't know, house is the property is, is is slightly rolling, but when we built the house, it's up on the hill. Mm-hmm. So it, oh my gosh, it's you. I'll have cramped legs like crazy. I, but, I would not want to mow your your yard. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to mow anything with a push mower. No. That's, it's only 12 acres. How bad can it be? Well, that's where you use your four-legged mowers. Oh, yeah. They they Yeah, they they're just not they're just not accurate enough as part of the problem. Well, and they're selective about what they eat. That's for sure. Well, do you have anything well, hopefully you want? You'll to... get a lot more time this year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you have anything you want to plug before we head out of here? But- Biggest thing to plug is, you know, we're at the edge of March. Dive show season is uh, coming to an end. 
and it's getting time to get back out in the water, now is the time to get your gear into the shop and get it serviced. Don't wait until late, the last moment, or you might not get your stuff back in time to get out diving when you want to. Yep. So what type of gear should somebody have serviced? Well, tanks have got an annual visual inspection, five-year hydro on most of them. You know, cleaning if you're having them blended. Um, most regulators have either an annual inspection or an annual service, depending on the manufacturer's guidelines. You know, pretty much all of your gear needs to be gone through, even your even your wetsuit. You know, pull your wetsuit out, and if you, you drop it and run, wash it. Yeah, so if it smells like pee, then it probably needs to be rinsed at least once before the season. At least once, maybe even a little bit of uh, woolite and some water and some hand washing. You know, BCs need to be looked at. Put air in it. Make sure it holds air now. Don't wait until you jump in the water to find out that it's got a big rip in it. Yeah, I, I've got inflator that I need to to figure out. It seems like uh, I've, I've, I'm going through inflators like crazy, so I need to get that taken care of. Oh, most certainly. You know, in dry suits, if you haven't been in your dry suit for a while, get it cleaned, get it checked out, make sure the zipper's cleaned and lubricated. Um, yeah, if you use a P-valve, make sure you've got the uh, the valve, <laughs> the hose cleaned out. Yes. Well, and and uh, for some P-valves, you, you want to make sure you have all the attachments and that they're, they're somewhat recent attachments. And you want to make sure that the hose doesn't have cracks in it. <laughs> or your 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 dry suit may be a little wet. Uh, it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. Luckily, you can wash it. Yeah, my you the know? problem I have with my dry suit is just the shrink, the darn shrinking. I who'd have thought that that uh, you know a Viking would shrink like that? Well, that happens. You know, and yeah. that's you know that's another part of the dive gear that we need to make sure we take care of and maintain. Yeah, the operator. Yeah, you need need to be getting out, get some aerobic exercise in, getting some condition. Uh, Carrying tanks into the shop to get them serviced and filled. There's some <laughs> exercise. That will that will tell you how well you're doing. And don't forget to look at your mask. Make sure that you didn't break it over the winter. The straps aren't dry rotted, and you got to put it on the first time, and it breaks. Fin straps. Basically, just have to go through all of your gear. One, yeah. find it all. Yeah. If you haven't been doing what we recommend, which is trying to dive at least once a month, uh, odds are you may have placed misplaced something. You don't want to be the guy who gets out in the boat and realizes he doesn't have his weight belt or weights or fins. You know, we've all been there, and that's that's no fun. That's yeah, bad enough when you dive every week to keep track of where you put your stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something I'm still working on trying to ha- trying to have a place, you know, consistent place for everything. That would awesome. That would be so awesome. It Just would. One trailer to put everything in, and you just took it up and go, and you know you have well, it all. My my wife uh, gave me the blessing on that, not the money, but the blessing <laughs> to get a trailer for my for my dive well, gear. That's half the battle. Yeah, yeah. Well, considering uh, how many trailers she's got, uh, I think I'm about due. I'm surprised she didn't just gift you an old horse horse trailer that's starting to fall apart. Nah, there's no such thing as a horse, old horse trailer. They just they just keep going. They do, and sometimes you just put some new boards in them, and <laughs> yeah, you're all good unless the horse steps through the floor. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'll but hear the about biggest that thing is, is get your stuff all serviced and get ready for diving. And if yep. make sure you get yourself serviced. You know, if you need to make sure you're in good shape for diving mentally, physically, and, and skills-wise. If it's been a year or two since you've been in the water, and, you know, it doesn't hurt to go find a, find a shop or an instructor and, you know, do a tune-up. Yeah, a lot of a lot of shops this time of year will have some pool days scheduled. And if they don't have it scheduled, ask them. A lot of shops will let you come in on a night that they've got the pool reserved for a class. And you can get in yeah. and get your gear wet and, and check your gear. Because you certainly don't want to get everything serviced and then go out on some epic dive to find out that, oh, crap. Yeah. There's a new problem. Well, and that brings it brings up another topic, which is uh, build a dive buddy. If your old dive buddy hasn't been getting out and doing diving and doesn't show any interest, but you got other friends who don't dive, see if you can talk them into it. You know, they may have misconceptions about diving and haven't realized that it's a, a great activity. So uh, have them see if you can talk them into it. And, you, and right right now, this time of year, you do it in a a nice pool, get a discover diving in and who knows and even if your dive buddy's still actively diving with you we all need to continually be searching for that new person bring along and you know quote somebody i know we all need to be diving with somebody that's better than us and we need to be diving with somebody that's worse than us yeah we need to have somebody help develop us and we need to be passing it along and paying it forward and helping develop new divers yeah, I, I need to try and see if I can talk my kids into diving again because now I need I might be able to have them haul my gear for me. That does it does happen when they get old enough, but they tend to get busier. Yeah. yeah. And if you have a friend that hadn't been in the water forever, that guy at work that says hey, I'm a diver. I remember back in 1984, last time I was in the water. Get him back into it. Yeah. But by all means, get him updated. Things have changed a little bit. Some of our methods are a little bit more improved. That Some of the dust has been knocked off some things. So if you're saying if he has a double hose regulator, then that's he's probably not been diving recently? Perhaps, but not necessarily always the case. I've, I've had some gear lately come through for service that uh, is dove quite frequently and has been for about 25 years. <laughs> and it's starts. starting to show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, now if your gear is worn out, now is the time to get it replaced. Not not when you go to go diving, but get it replaced now. That way you can get it in, get it fitted to you, figure out how it works and that way when you do get out there, you can go dive. Yep. It is that time of the year. It certainly is. And if it's been a while since you've taken any kind of classes, do something that you want to do. Uh, go, go take a class in. You know, if if you're a nitrox diver and it's been 15 years since you took a class, you see if you can audit a class or just go through it again. Refresh your memory on the details that you might have been skipping out on for the last 10 years. And we should always be looking to improve ourselves and our knowledge in diving. Yep, always look at that at that one piece of safety gear that you you don't have. You know, do you have the updated safety sausage or is yours the one that's about fifteen years old? Have you inflated that safety sausage? See if it holds in the air. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big one. 
I think yeah. one of the funniest things I ever saw, we, ha- we had a guy that came in and he had an, an old horse collar BC that he dove. And, you know, he, he was bragging about how it had that CO2 cylinder. You just pull a cord and it would inflate. And I asked him when the last time he inflated it, what the CO2 cylinder was. And he said, well, why would I do that? Then I'd have to replace it. Like, well, how do you know it works? Well, he pulled the cord, it inflated, and it exploded all over the shop. There were pieces <laughs> of pieces of vinyl falling through the air like confetti. <laughs> well, how good would that have been <laughs> if you got into the position where you felt that you really needed it? I really do wish we'd had a video camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope he had a weight belt he could drop because that would have, that would be bad underwater. Well, his buckle's probably bent. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty entertaining seeing that seeing that horse collar just blow apart. So get your stuff together and get your stuff found and get your stuff serviced. That's my plug for the week. Excellent. Well, I don't have anything. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. If you're enjoying the show, please support us. Go on to our our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click click on over to Patreon, you know, and uh, we, we certainly appreciate your support. So uh, are you ready for that time of the show? Oh, God. Yeah. That's the appropriate response. Seatbelt is buckled. Okay. A dog walks into a job center. Wow, a talking dog, says the clerk. With your talents, I'm sure we can find you a gig in a circus. The circus is a dog. What does a circus want with a plumber? Ouch. <laughs> that must have come from down under. No, no, I, we, we can't blame him this time. Wow. Yeah. Do, certainly do we, do we, certainly do we, a bad joke. Do we need another one? Oh, make up for the shorter show. I, th- I think yeah. a second bad joke is in order. Okay. So so here we go. Uh, two men are talking about animal. Animal. Goodness. <laughs> Have another drink. Uh, two men are talking about animals. One says to the other, I know of a dog that's worth $10,000. Really, replies the other. Who would have thought a dog could save so much? Certainly a bad joke. (laughs) So on that note, go out there and get wet. Stay safe.